Birds. Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 870. Our favorite video tweet of the week, maybe our only one, is from a recent guest on our show, the great Rick Wright at Birder, New Jersey. The caption reads, I could have used these guys the other day to help with the driveway. The video shows a large swimming flotilla of northern shovelers. You can relate if you were in the Northeast last week or many parts of the Midwest and elsewhere this week, uh, this week for sure. Here's an update on a couple of birds that have been in the news of late. Certainly this one, the Stellar's Eagle. This individual, Stellar's Eagle, flew from its home habitat in Siberia or maybe northern Japan and visited places all over the U.S., it seems to have vanished now after stops in Texas, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia in Canada, Massachusetts and Maine. It was last sighted in the Booth Bay Harbor, Maine area on January 24th. So we'll be watching to see where it might show up next, maybe back to where it came from in northern Asia. Meanwhile, Rover, the city-loving bald eagle, that hatched in New Haven, Connecticut, is still wowing folks in New York's Central Park after visiting all five New York City boroughs. It's been feasting on gulls and songbirds and whatever else it might find there in the park. Uh, New York State wildlife biologist Brian Hess says he's optimistic about Rover's future. Bald eagles begin breeding around five years old, and Rover is said to be four, so maybe he will find a mate and choose to breed right there in the city. It sounds a little bit like that bald eagle, but it's a very different bird. It's our mystery bird. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest coming later in the show. we give a preview now, so you'll be ready to call in when we give the signal a little bit later. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized sandpiper. In breeding plumage, its face and underparts are black. The back is dark brown with yellow spots, and it has a white S-shaped mark along its head and sides. Males and females are quite similar. In winter plumage, the bird is browner overall with less distinctive black and white markings. Our bird winters in South America and breeds in northern Canada and Alaska. In the fall, many of the birds travel along the east coast nonstop to their wintering grounds. In spring, most move through the middle of North America on their way to the Arctic. Clues there for our mystery bird and some beautiful prizes that will allow you to get some good reading in while you drink some delicious coffee. Prizes are a 12-ounce bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee and a $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books home of one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Prizes on our upcoming Mystery Bird Contest this morning. 
We want to salute a couple more Talking Birds ambassadors helping us spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. First, though, we want to say thank you to the many ambassadors who have signed up in the past couple of weeks because we've created this goal. We're hoping to grow our ambassadors family to 700 members by the end of this month. And we are well on our way. Thanks to new ambassadors, including Vidya Charan Ramesh from Hillsboro, Oregon. He says, I love exploring the birds and their habitats. For me, birding is a way to relax. I enjoy photographing them and listening to talking birds to better understand bird behaviors. I only not only want to understand conservation techniques, but to help spread them across many groups of photographers and people in the community. Thank you so much, Vidya Charan. And thank you to Patrick Morgan from Boulder, Colorado. He says, I work for the Front Range Birding Company in Boulder. I hope to advertise your show through our store. Our main store is in Littleton, Colorado. And the store I work at in Boulder has been around since 2018. The Littleton store since the early 2000s. He says, I know we have many patrons that would love to listen to your show, so it made sense to advertise through our store. Patrick fortunately was out of the way of the recent tragic fires out there, but he says some of their store patrons were caught in the way. He said he doesn't think any lost their homes, but that some lost all of their bird feeders and supplies. And he says it was encouraging to see some of their other patrons come together to purchase gift certificates and new birding supplies for those that lost them. The community, he says, has responded very well to those who were affected by the fire. Good to hear. And by the way, Patrick says he hopes to meet a couple of other Colorado ambassadors, our friends Kevin and Roxanne Reardon, and maybe join them in their work monitoring raptor nests in the eastern Rockies. And then, Patrick says, you'll have an unstoppable team of ambassadors in Boulder County. Thank you so much, Patrick. Easy to join our ambassadors family. Just go to the Get Involved tab at the top of our website. They're at TalkingBirds.com. Still to come on our show today, a man who may know more about New Caledonian crows and their remarkable tool-making capabilities than anybody else on the planet will be here with us live in a few moments. A little later, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment on the subject of another bird. People like um, a lot less than crows in general. That would be starlings, European starlings. And up next, an elegant bird with a long tail and a beautiful slender profile is our featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Our featured feathered friend is an arctic nesting dabbling duck that rivals the canvas back for avian elegance and its long and slender profile has earned it the nickname Greyhound of the Air. The bird is the northern pintail. Breeding males of the species have a very long pointed tail, a white breast and a white line extending up through their chocolate brown neck and head. The flanks and upper back are gray, the rump feathers black with pale edges, and the black tail end is bordered by a yellowish tan patch. Females are a mottled brown and white with a pale tan face and a dark bill. 
In flight, males show a green speculum, the secondary wing feathers, while the female speculum is a bronzy color. The northern pintail is not just beautiful, it's also tough, as demonstrated by the fact that it's among the earliest nesting ducks in North America, shortly after ice out in many areas. Its nesting grounds extend through much of Canada and Alaska and north-central U.S., and it winters in most of the lower half of the lower 48 and along the east coast well up into New England. The northern pintail feeds on grain, seeds, and weeds, as well as aquatic insects, crustaceans, and snails, and like the familiar mallard, it's found in many different habitats. It's the greyhound of the air, Anus acutus, the northern pintail. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again. It's our show number 870 in that website. In case you missed it, we'd love to invite you to visit us. Talkingbirds.com. No G there in talking. Dr. Christian Rotes is a professor in the School of Biology at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. His research group studies a bird that is one of the most remarkable tool users in the animal kingdom, the New Caledonian crow. And he joins us uh, to tell us some more about it right now from St. Andrews in Scotland. Hello, Christian. Hello, Ray. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure indeed. Great to, great to have you on. We hear about tool use by creatures in the wild, particularly birds, but how rare or common is it? It's incredibly rare. We did a, a back-of-the-envelope calculation a few years ago and estimated that only about 1 in 10,000 animal species is a tool user in the wild. Wow. Uh, some others may express the behavior in captivity if you train them or if you facilitate the behavior. Mm -hmm. But in terms of natural uh, tool behavior, it's about 1 in 10,000. Extremely rare. Indeed, rare. And, of course, we're talking about new Caledonian crows, the kind of world champions of, of tool use. And if I understand this correctly, Christian, there are a couple of different kinds of tools the birds use, sort of basic non-hooked tools, just like a maybe a plain stick, and then complex hooked tools. And the new Caledonian crow essentially makes these tools, right? That's correct. They, they have a repertoire of different tool types, and they use all of these tools to winkle uh, prey out of hiding places, grubs out of deadwood, lizards out of, uh, out of leaves. Um, and you're right, they, they have different tool types and they differ in their shapes and in their complexity and also in their efficiency. So the most basic tool type are sticks or leaf petioles. They will just pick up from the forest floor. Um, but they also make these really fancy hooked stick tools, which they craft from living plant materials. And uh, the really surprising thing is that the hook at the end of those tools is crow-made. It's not a pre-existing feature of the plants. It's actually the crows that impose the shape of a hook on these sticks. And these hooked stick tools are much more efficient than uh, the basic stick tools without hooks. So it looks as if these crows are gradually evolving their technology the same way as humans have uh, developed tools that become gradually more and more complex and efficient. Uh -huh. I think when we talked earlier too, you described the different types of hooks uh, that are employed for different purposes. How does, it, how does that work? 
Yeah, that's right. So they uh, target one particular uh, plant species in our study area for making these uh, uh, really complicated hook tools. And uh, they snip off side branches and then they craft parts of the nodal joint material. But we seem to have gotten a little uh, frozen there. Attached to the main stem of the plant. This hooked end for snagging for snagging uh, things that are hiding in, in dead wood. Uh, mm -hmm. So if there's a beetle, for example, they try to engage the legs of the beetle with the, the little hook at the end. And of course, I should say, uh, New Caledonian crows being birds, they do everything with their bills. They are not mm -hmm. primates, they don't have hands. So they make the tools with their bills and they use the tools with their bills. Everything is bill handled. Is there a way to sort of have a correlation between the intelligence of birds, and obviously these are intelligent birds, but the intelligence as related to tool use? It seems there are other birds that are quite intelligent that don't use tools. That's right. And we, we need to be a bit careful with equating tool behavior with uh, intelligence. Uh, there is no doubt that New Caledonian crows are exceptionally good at making and using tools. Uh, but that is what they do for a living. They evolve <laughs> to do that. The same as a spider evolved to, to uh, manufacture a beautiful web for catching its prey. Um, so if we want to find out whether they are more or less intelligent than species that don't use tools, we actually have to do experiments that ask them questions that don't involve the use of tools. Mm -hmm. uh, if you give uh, a tool using New Caledonian crow a tool use puzzle and a North American crow the same tool use puzzle, uh, guess who wins? The New Caledonian <laughs> crow. Uh, there's another crow I think you've talked about, another crow species that uh, exhibits the maybe similar tool use behavior or, or uh, capability, the Hawaiian crow. That's correct. Um, for a very long time, everybody thought it's just the New Caledonian crows that live on this remote tropical island in the South Pacific uh, that use tools. Uh, but there are over 40 species of crows and ravens around the world. And for many of these, we know very little about their natural foraging behavior, especially some of the tropical species. And a few years ago, I started wondering whether perhaps amongst these, there might be undiscovered tool users. And mm -hmm. I pulled together everything my team had learned about New Caledonian crows at the time. That was 15 years of field research and counting. And I predicted that the Hawaiian crow was a good con candidate. And uh, we checked and it turns out um, they are natural tool users too. And so mm -hmm. we started um, a collaborative project uh, with the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance uh, working on the Hawaiian crows. It's one of the rarest birds on the planet. There are currently no Hawaiian crows in the wild. Wow, that is pretty amazing. Now, you have some new research. I'm, I'm thinking when I was a boy, my father would scold me because I would use tools in his workshop and not be careful about where I, where I put them afterwards. <laughs> Can we say that new Caledonian crows uh, don't have that problem? They don't. You're absolutely right. That's our latest discovery. We uh, ran some experiments with wild-caught New Caledonian crows, which we temporarily kept in field aviaries uh, before releasing them again uh, back into the wild. And we asked them uh, which kinds of tools they like better, the basic tools without hooks or the really fancy, efficient tools with hooks. And it turns out they like the hook tools better. But then we took it to, to the next level and we asked, uh, which tool do you handle more carefully? Um, you're right that we humans, when we have a valuable tool, uh, we are more careful than if we have an old tool or a broken tool. 
And we try to find out whether that's the same case with uh, the crows. And the way they they look after their tools, it's really interesting. They, When they don't need them, uh, they either trap them underfoot um, or they insert them temporarily into holes on the branch they sit on, similar to, to how a human might put a, a treasured fountain pen into a pen holder. And so we measured experimentally whether they are more careful with the uh, the hook tools than they are with the non-hook tools and the answer is a resounding yes so Hmm. if they have one of these prized tools they really seem to value it they hate losing it so they will trap it more often underfoot or insert it into uh, a hole or wedge it behind bark than if it was a cheaper tool wow Sad to say our time is getting very short, Christian, but I wanted to, uh, I know you are looking for people to uh, collaborate and uh, with a global research uh, consortium relating to the COVID lockdown and also other tool users in North America, surprisingly to me anyway, nut hatches. Um, I wonder if we can issue an invitation to you right now to come back with us again uh, soon to talk about uh, yeah. some of these yeah, things. Yeah, I would love to. And, yeah, and, 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 how, to. and how can people best follow you in, in the meantime? Um, they can follow me through my uh, university profile at the University of St. Andrews, uh, but we also, two of the initiatives uh, uh, I'm involved in, they have uh, Twitter accounts, so at Biologging, if you're interested in animal tracking, and at mm. and Raptors if you're interested in raptor research. Amazing, fascinating stuff. Christian Roots, Dr. Christian Roots, professor of the School of Biology at the University of St. Andrews. Christian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your wonderful work, and we'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for having me, Ray. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. What we're hearing there is the sound of our mystery bird appropriate because this is our mystery bird contest and we invite you to call in and tell us what you think that bird is or tell us what you know it is the important thing is to call us as soon as you can so we'll have enough time 781-837-4900 is the number i'll give the number again in a moment our mystery bird is a medium-sized sandpiper in breeding plumage its face and underparts are black the back is dark brown with yellow spots and it has a white S-shaped mark along its head and sides. Males and females quite similar. In winter plumage, the bird is browner overall with less distinctive black and white markings. Our bird winters in South America and breeds in northern Canada and Alaska. In the fall, many of the birds travel along the east coast to wintering grounds. In the spring, most move through the middle of North America on their way 
to the Arctic. Some uh, info there about our mystery bird, and that number again, 781-837-4900. And our prizes will allow you to read some beautiful books while you drink some beautiful coffee. It's a 12-ounce bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. We love it. And a $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books, home of the largest selections, or one of the largest in the world, birding books, that is. And if we get uh, time for our bonus question, we'll also have uh, in the offing a $20 gift certificate for Wisdom Supply, makers of plastic-free books and notepads, journals, and other supplies for classroom and office. So, our mystery bird contest, and that number again is 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, up next, we're going to check in with Let's Ask Mike live with Mike O'Connor in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com. My name is Robin Rogers from Astoria, Oregon. I became a Talking Birds ambassador to spread the word about the show and to get the information to my birding friends and turn younger folks on to birding. I think everyone should become Talking Birds ambassadors. It shows great support for the show and for birds and our environment in general. Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Now let's talk to somebody else who turns a lot of people on to birds. No purchase required, and that would be Mike O'Connor there at the famous Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Good morning, Mike. Uh, no, no purchase required, but it's preferred. It's preferred, I see. Perhaps you'll get a little more depth of information if uh, purchase. Right, yeah, well, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Right. The more you spend, the the more truth you get. Yeah. And, and we should mention, too, uh, is it still the case if someone comes to your store and tells a joke, they will get a free pencil? They'll get a Yeah, right. That's yeah. true. That's the only thing you're going to get free. Yes. Just yeah. a pencil. Very <laughs> nice right. nice pencils, though. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Right. So, Mike, a bird that a lot of people love to hate would be the European starling, even though it's a pretty interesting bird. But I think you had told me earlier there are about 200 million of them in the U.S. or North America, which seems like maybe yeah. that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's enough. Yeah, and, you know, not long ago, probably, you know, when you were a kid, there wasn't any. It, yeah. There was none, and it's a, it's a European starling, the name indicates they're from Europe, and they were brought over here in the 1890s to New York City because one guy thought, you know what, here's a good idea. Let's bring the birds that were mentioned in Shakespeare's work to the New World. So he introduced them. So there's another reason not to like Shakespeare right there. Boom. <laughs> so from that population of maybe like 100, it's exploded, and now there's 200 million of them. And, you know, for them, they've been a problem. You know, you know, some people will defend them, say, okay, they've acclimated, they're here, now they're speciated to this continent, let's just get on with it, not quit. But they do... Um, cause problems for native species, but more importantly, they cause problems for people who feed backyard birds. They they spend a lot of time 
at least in my part of the world, out in the marshes and the wetlands, eating invertebrates and insects and things. But when things freeze up this time of year, they head towards the backyards and go to the mm. feeders, and that's when I get the complaints. Mm. So what I tell people to do, and you know, and for whatever reason, I don't seem to have much problem with it, but um, it depends where you live, I think, and, and they can dominate a feeder. So this is what I tell people to do, but based mostly on just what I've talked to people about or have read, because it really hasn't never been an issue for me. But they like soft food, so the first thing they go after is suet. They like suet. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. They also uh, will eat some of the seeds that you put out, especially hulled sunflower seeds. They'll dominate those. So you, your options... Um, uh, to, to kind of slow down the grackles a little bit. And remember, these are grackles. I mean, they're not grackles. Mm-hmm. People mix up the, the starlings, uh, especially mm-hmm. in the winter. They're speckled. They're less speckled in the summertime, but they're really speckled this time of year. And grackles are always that shiny, iridescent black green. And grackles are natives, of course. Mm-hmm. And so what, I, what people will do is maybe switch to striped sunflower seed. Remember the old school oh, yeah. striped sunflower seed that the baseball players spit out all the time? <laughs> Starlings have trouble with eating those, so you might want to switch to those. But suet, they make these, what they call an upside-down feeder, uh-huh. so the suet is only accessible from underneath. And uh-huh. clinging birds like nuthatches and chickadees and woodpeckers fly up underneath and, and grab the suet, where the starlings uh, apparently have a lot more trouble doing that. So that would be another option. And your last option, the same option you might want to do for all large birds, like blue jays and grackles, is put them in a cage. The feeder sits inside the cage so only the little birds can zip in and out. Alright. So deal with you go. All right. Thank you, Mike. Uh, by the way, uh, Mozart was a big fan of starlings. He had a pet starling that supposedly influenced some of his music, so that's a little another, you know, point in their favor. I, there. I think of that Stalin wrote the theme song to my show, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that's another one. Well, I was not going to reveal that yet, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Okay, talk we'll talk yet. next Bye-bye. week. Birdwatching Magazine has a new membership program. Benefits include detailed bird ID articles from Ken Kaufman and David Sibley, tips and stories about bird photography, access to quarterly e-workshops on identifying and photographing birds, and complimentary print and digital subscriptions to Birdwatching Magazine. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com slash memberships. Mike O'Connor there at the famous Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod, and we return, meanwhile, to a bird that folks uh, would love to see on Cape Cod. Uh, travels uh, up in the springtime uh, through the center of America and then southward along the Atlantic coast uh, heading the other direction or something like that. Uh, let's see. 781-837-4900 is the number. We have Heidi somewhere in Wisconsin. Good morning, Heidi. Hi. I had first about one bird, but I've changed my mind. I think, <laughs> can I change my call when I told your person? Oh, yes. It depends which person you told, but yes, no, that's perfectly fine. You haven't, I... As long as you haven't done it on the air. Sure. I think it's a golden plover, a like gold- a Pacific golden plover. A Pacific, oh, a Pacific golden plover. Not well. I'm giving it away that that's a very close answer, but it's not exactly right. But uh, let's put it this way: if no one gets the exact answer, we would certainly make you the winner because you were very close there. How's that sound? Uh, did we lose you, Heidi? I think we did. Let's try Jeff in Hingham, Massachusetts. Good morning, Jeff. 
Hello, Ray. It's your friend Jeff in Hingham. Good to hear from you, friend Jeff, and uh, our mystery I, bird. Jeff, what do you think about that? Well, I, I've just been released from the uh, mystery bird contest participant uh, protection program, and I'm going to guess <laughs> the American Golden Plover. American Golden Plover would be precisely correct. Yay! Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> nice job. That's great. Well, I'm going to see if we have time for a mystery, our bonus question. We'll have to do sure. it really, really quickly. Okay. It could I'm be ready. argued that the state of Maine doesn't really have a state bird, even though it claims that it does. Why is that? Why doesn't it have a state bird? A, because it never passed a bill naming a state bird. B, because it says that chickadee is the state bird, but doesn't name a specific chickadee species. Or is C, because its state bird is Homarus americanus, uh, which is a, a lobster. Uh, which one would that be? I'm going to guess um, B. Isn't it Massachusetts State Bird, too? It is Massachusetts State Bird. Yes, they didn't name a specific chickadee species up there in Maine, so they don't kind of really have a state bird. So you are a a double winner there, Jeff. Thank you, and stay on the line. And meanwhile, we're going to say goodbye because we are out of time. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you, Ray. Take care. Bye. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And UDO Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. UDOBooks.com.